Well, good morning. Um, I'm definitely blessed and honored to be here with you as well this morning. Um, uh, as we've traveled all the way down here from Ohio, and um, we did not bring this weather, by the way. We were hoping to come see sunny, shiny uh, sunshine, and we got a little bit of rain, but hopefully that's going to change, right? Uh, be able to see the beach. Yeah, see, I just need a, I just need a little bit of sun to say, yeah, we went down to Myrtle Beach and we saw the sun. We didn't just see rain. But um, by that, um, I'm also honored to be in your presence today. Um, thankful for the opportunity. Um, I honor my parents because they've really set the tone for uh, kind of the ministry that I've been in for the past probably, man, probably eight to 10 years. I've been in youth development for about 12 years. And what God's kind of taken me on this journey and myself, my family, um, and, and what you'll see, I'll talk about them a little bit. But I, I really am thankful for the message that God has put in my heart for this generation. Um, with, with God's called me into youth development about 12 years ago and youth ministry in general, and um, with the past probably, again, 10 to 12 years, God's also opened doors and opportunities um, to be able to go into different spaces that are typically kind of closed doors for when you're bringing the message of the gospel. Um, and, and it's been exciting because I didn't realize it was possible, um, but God made a, a way. And today, I really am thankful because you don't get opportunities as much to, to present and testify um, for, for all the things God's been doing around us. And one thing's for sure is the culture today has really put a lot of pressure on the people of God. Agree? Yes? Okay, okay. And with all that pressure, um, it's either going to burst and there will be scattering or it'll be something that God's creating in a, in a diamond and within that pressure. And I wanted to start off, though, today and read this text to kind of build some foundational place for us to start in, in Jude. And I want to do something a little unique, and I'm, I'm a big person on honor. I, I honor every single one of you in here, and I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity. Um, I honor God for, for calling me to this place in this ministry. Um, but I would ask if we could, if you can, Stand with me, and we're going to read the Word of God, and just to just to just to get us moving today, right? I just want to I want to honor the Word of God in a way that I think is important. And in verse uh, Jude chapter one, there's only one chapter. <laughs> verse three, it says, "Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary." to write to you, exhort, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once delivered to all the saints. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this climate, Lord, that you've called each and every one of us to be living in this certain, state, in this certain time for a reason, for a purpose. Lord, we just ask that you will just use us today. Lord, as your word flows through today, Lord, as even your worship softened our hearts to be able to receive what you have for us, 
God, I pray that you will just rest in this place and let your Holy Spirit on this day of Pentecost move in this room to settle hearts, settle minds. Lord, we just come against any strongholds and minds in this room right now that will cause us to be hindered to receive what you have for us today. God, we just thank you for the opportunity and the grace that you provided for the giving of the love of Christ that you've given on, your, on the cross 2,000 years ago. Lord, we just thank you for this time. Use me as your vessels. Remove myself and only use me as your vessel to speak through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I love animals. Does anybody like animals? I love animals. I love, uh, we used to grow up watching like Animal Planet. Anybody remember Animal Planet? Yes, Animal Planet. I loved Animal Planet and I love to watch different ways how animals moved and how the fact that you could learn so many different lessons through the movement of what, how different type of species move and how different things do. And one thing recently caught me, um, and it really kind of really spoke to my spirit when I learned this years ago. And I, I love studying like safaris and things. And has anybody ever been to a safari before? And safaris, one of the main attractions in a lot of these safaris are the elephants. And elephants are massive amazing creatures, right? And I'd read of this story about this, uh, this safari where this elephants, they had these elephants and they were like the main attraction for this safari. And the elephants were like these beautiful, majestic creatures. I mean, they're just huge, amazingly, and they're very smart. They're very, very wise. Um, and what happened was that this safari was these main bull-grown elephants you know, some some seasoned elephants were there, and they had these young male bull elephants. And what they found was like, man, this safari is doing really well in this area. We need to find some, we could probably double our profits because then the business, you know, concept came in as let's double our profits and let's move some of these younger elephants to another area, and um, possibly we could have two places because it was a main attraction, a lot of attractions and visitors and things. So what happened was they took the youngest male elephants and they said, hey, those will eventually grow up and it'll be an amazing thing and we'll take these young bull elephants, we'll put them over here into this area and man, we'll be able to double profit, we'll also be amazing, it'll, they'll grow and it'll just be this amazing thing. And then they started to recognize there was a major issue because once they took those young elephants and they took them over to their side and they didn't have the structure of the older, wisdom, wiser bull elephants there, what happened was these young bull elephants started to really cause destruction. They started to pillage the community. They started seeing rhinoceroses, which are another amazing big animal, but they were being killed by these, made, these huge elephants. Now, elephants aren't like an aggressive type of creature. They're typically symbolic of just majestic and very, you know, they're very massive, but these young bull elephants started just pillaging the community, causing damage, and they were like, man, we've, we, we created a monster. <laughs> Literally, we have a major problem on our hands. So a lot of the, the researchers and all of the different people started coming in trying to give their opinions and their professional opinion of what should we do with this major issue of these elephants. So the first thing was, well, we might have to euthanize them. We might have to get rid of these elephants because they're causing so many troubles and problems. And, and, and they're like, 
we, we got to do something, and it has to happen fast because now we're talking about it are starting to attack community members. And, but they said, hey, before we do that, though, let, let's call this one guy. He's, he's an expert in this field. Let's bring him in and see what he can do. And he's like, you know what? I see the problem. And he said, you know, let's take these elephants before we euthanize them because, yeah, they're very, they're very hyper-aggressive. He said, let's take them back to where the elder elephants are. Let's take them back to the elder elephants and just kind of see if they're back to where their, you know, fathers were and their parents and their families and the structure. If we, if we just bring them back really quickly and just see what happens. Within two weeks, those very hyper-aggressive elephants straightened up. Now, in that situation, I think about that like, man, we took those elephants away from the wisdom, the care, the direction, the authority of the structure of the fathers and their family. And what happened was we seen the destruction just to make a profit. But once they brought them back, <laughs> today I want to talk to you about something that is near and dear to my heart, uh, near and dear to my family's heart, and, and that is the structure of what is going on with our culture. If I had to title today's message, it would be called The Prodigal Culture. The Prodigal Culture. The prodigal means spending money or resources freely, recklessly, wastefully, and extravagant. This prodigal, in our culture today, um, we've recognized there's been a significant adjustment within the past probably 50 to 55 years. I'm a historian. I love learning about history and recognizing the changes because a lot of times when you see things like the Target ads and all the cut stuff that's happening in culture, you recognize it like, man, that's crazy. And we point the finger and then we go back to our space and realize, man, that's the, it's the enemy. It's demonic. It is. It's very demonic what's happening in our, in our culture. But at some point, we have to kind of dig a little bit deeper and kind of get to the root cause. What's this root cause? See, our culture today is sending our youth into the world with a compass that only points to themselves. And that compass, see, a compass, when it's calibrated correctly, points only where? True north, right? And wherever we're at, wherever we're lost, if we could just have that compass on us, sometimes we keep it on us. And we know that, okay, I probably need to start heading this direction because this is true north. And what's happened with our culture today is they've told our kids, hey, you are the direction. Look within oneself to find the answers. And I found the same concept of what's happened with the elephants that's happened with our culture today. We've left the presence of a heavenly father, right? And we moved away, and what happened was the community started becoming damaged. We've seen pillaging in our communities, right? We're murdering our own babies as a culture, as a nation. Um, and, and what happens is the only thing that's going to fix today is when the body of Christ comes together like we're doing here. And we get, we get informed. We get our marching orders. We learn from, okay, this is what happens. This is what we need to do. And we need to get back in alignment. We need to get our compasses calibrated, right? And with what I, what I do is I have a program in Columbus, Ohio um, that's called Common Sense Culture. And basically we take biblical principles, 
right into the middle of the enemy's camp into our school systems. And we're able to present character education um, to students. Now this isn't a Christian cu curriculum that we're bringing in, but it is a Christian curriculum that we're bringing in. See, the only thing we remove is the references of where <laughs> this is the, the biblical reference. But we can take the biblical principles because what happens is it's not just about, I don't have to hit them upside the head with the Bible. It can be within me because what they need is hope. And that hope is in us, The that is in us, Christ, the hope of Glory. So what happens is we're able to walk into this classroom and we're in about 45 different schools all over Franklin and Fairfield, which are the two major counties in, in uh, Columbus, Ohio, and bring four days of presentations talking about character and education. But we're also the prevention arm of a pregnancy resource center, and which is typically, um, if you ever, if you know, a pregnancy resource center, they have plenty of different things that they for, they, that they serve the community in, whether it be in uh, life, whether it's not just encouraging life and, and loving on women that are in very crisis situations, and they're in these different situations, be, you know, sometimes, um, and, and what happens is they just need help. They need somebody to come walk alongside them and say, no, we got this, you can do this, you can keep this baby, right? Which we typically thought that the womb typically was the safest place in a in the world, but in certain states, it's, they're, they're seeing that more likely to be aborted than alive. And that kind of sh shakes us. And so I, I actually work for a pregnancy resource center, and I'm the director of the prevention arm of what they do. And, and this whole concept of what these, this destruction of our culture, our basic fundamental values that we've built off of, right, the basic fundamental things, right, like the scripture says, I was so earnestly excited to come speak to you. And I was so excited to come as I am. I'm excited to be here at Catch the Fire. But he says, hey, but I exhort you to contend earnestly for the faith. Our faith is under attack, people of God. And, and, and our, not only our faith is under attack, our children are under attack. And when we see the, the culture today that has removed the biblical foundations out of our school systems to where now it's any type of foundation, it's whatever we feel in the moment, and it can shift and change. And unfortunately, instead of just helping the individual that's in a crisis, we just say they need this, and we just point them and push them on, and all oh, the destruction is no big deal, look away, right? But what happens is, when we get back into alignment and we get back into the position, right? And we need a culture that honors the father and returns back to a culture of honor. A culture of honor is not easily swayed because there's a structure set in order that recognizes that there's something that we can do right now to help promote this kingdom. And uh, in, that, in that scripture, it also speaks to um, later in the next verse, it says, for certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men, right? Ungodly men who turn the grace of God into lewdness and deny the Lord God, our Lord Jesus Christ. When the Lord, when, when we deny, we see what happened when Peter denied Jesus three times, right? 
and or Judas, right? And just Peter. And what happened was they needed to get back into alignment. And that compass that was uncalibrated needed to be recalibrated, right? And in all my in my in my research and my studies and even in the classroom, it was so exciting. I got a chance to go. Uh, I was I was in this one school one time, and I was struggling with if this actually was working. Like, man, is this like I'm bringing in word that I think is good? Like, we're talking about character and you know healthy relationships and how we can choose to abstain from sexual activity and risk of risk avoidance education and all these amazing things. These like I've done all this research and study and I go into the classroom and I'm like, man. Like, are they hearing it? Like, it's like, is this, this is so good. Because in my adult brain, I'm recognizing the principles that could be helpful to help them succeed, right? Not just about not having sex until marriage. It's more so about recognizing that our foundation and our core structure of civilization starts with a healthy marriage and family. And if you have healthy marriages and families, then you have healthy communities. And then once you have healthy communities, then you have healthy societies. And it kind of goes from there. And I'm so excited about doing this work and I'm in the schools and early into my career, I just was grappling and anybody ever just like, God, like, is this really, is, has anybody ever done that? Like, God, is this, like, are, are they hearing this? Like, this is so good. <laughs> yeah. And I was sitting in the classroom and, you know, we've got our stories we speak on and talk about. And I, I remember there was this guy in the far corner of the class, and he was about my size. He was a football player. And, man, he was really, like you could tell, he was probably the left tackle in the football team. I mean, he was, a, it was, it was really strong, really, really big for high school. And he was in one of these little tiny chairs. He's trying to, like, sit in the chair. He's, like, halfway. I'm like, man, this dude, he's a football player. I could tell he's probably going to be an athlete in D1. I don't know what happened. But for some reason, the Holy Spirit, as he moves, directed my attention to that young man. And I'm just kind of going and presenting, and, and then the Holy Spirit, no, but use this story. And I started to speak on a story. And as I started to speak on a story, as I'm talking to a group over here that's talking, and you know, halfway, halfway, half of the content is to classroom management. Hey, stop talking so I can help you get to some of the goals you just told me the last day that you want to get. And I'm talking to them. The Holy Spirit told me to look up, and I focused my attention on this young man, and all I started seeing was tears start rolling down his face. And I'm thinking, man, the, the God is moving. And the Holy Spirit at that moment said, just be the vessel. Allow me to move. Just be the vessel. Allow me to move. And in that moment, I recognized, oh, wow, God is moving even in the classroom where they've even tried to take this word out. So fast forward a few years later, just this past two weeks ago, right? Every once in a while, God will give us little, little, little measures of like, okay, yeah, I got you. I, I hear you. I hear you're crying out for these things and you want, you want to know if this is working. Uh, he'll just give us little things. Not that we need to only go through this process, only do the work of the Lord because we need that little, but sometimes he'll just drop something in there and say, hey, I see what you're doing. Keep doing it. And two weeks ago, I was in a school, and I was so excited because it was one of the schools I actually went to. I actually graduated from the school, so I'm always excited to go back there. And I'm presenting. had a great time. And by the end of the week, I was tired, exhausted. I had about six classes. And as I'm about to get my laptop and leave, and, man, this guy comes up to me, and some of the kids do and say hi and thank you for coming and all this stuff. It's awesome. He said, man, Mr. Matt, are you religious in any ways? I was like, you know, I'm a Christian. 
See, because once they ask the question, then you, you better believe I'm going to be bold enough to tell them, yes, I know the Lord. Right? That's the thing is uh, what it's going to take is a little bit of an unashamed boldness to kind of present this gospel, to kind of take this and not and push back from, you know, the enemy's tactics and plans. I said, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Christian. He's like, I could tell. He said, I could tell my dad's a pastor. He was a PK and, you know, a PK, a preacher's kid. And he, he realized, he recognized that what was being presented wasn't just some sexual risk avoidance education. It was some word in there. And it was some concepts that he had probably heard on a Sunday morning. There were some things that were said in that classroom that sparked his attention to maybe, maybe it's something that my parents have been saying all along. How many have told our kids something some over and over, I'm one of them. And, and what happens is we say that they say the same things over and over. And sometimes when somebody else says the exact same thing, probably even verbatim, it's like, that's true. That makes sense. I know I've been there before where I've been in school and I've heard some a teacher say a statement and I'm like, wow, my that, that makes so much sense. And then later on it's like, oh, that's why it makes sense. My dad just told me that. The same morning. <laughs> it's just that there's sometimes need to be somebody that comes along to speak into. And why I'm so thankful and honored to be able to do this is because, man, what, 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 what I've been able to speak into, I've seen, man, there's been confirmation after confirmation that, yes, continue to go, continue to go. But before I get out of here, all right, this is my family, y'all. This is my, my wifey, my boo, Jasmine. She's right there. Say hi, everybody. Hi. <laughs> That's my high school sweetheart. We met junior year in high school, and it was a fire drill. And they, you know, you go, all go outside, and we were in different, um, we were in different, uh, 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 we were at the career center, so we were in different like state, or different places, and you know they brought the. She was in cosmetology, and you know obviously me, my my adolescent self was looking at the cosmetology ladies walk past, and I'm just kind of like, oh, there's there's the cosmetology lady, and then somebody stuck out, and obviously somebody that had this patched uniform outfit on, and you remember the outfit, babe? <laughs> so, and it just caught my eyes, like man. I'm going to talk to her. Yeah, I'm going to talk. And from then on, all right, uh, we've been married 11 years. We've got three beautiful children and one on the way. So we're excited. We got one more as well. We're continuing to be fruitful and multiply. I heard that somewhere in here it says that, right? Um, so I think that when it comes to family, why I take this family in this picture, this is the same picture I take into the classroom when I'm talking about family, we're talking about relationships and talking about character and how we build ourselves, how integrity is what we do when nobody else is watching, or how the fact that, show me your friends and I'll show you your future, one of the main statements on the first day. Show me the people you surround yourself with, I'll tell you where you've been in about six months. I know that was a statement I heard from my parents and grandparents and, you know, certain things like, hey, whatever lifestyle we choose, we got to accept the consequences, that our choices have consequences to them. And we can't just continue to continue to do something over and over and expect different results. The same immature relationships we had in elementary school, we carried into high school. And what happens is if there's no character involved and no integrity, we'll carry it into our adulthood. And those same habits, right? We can't choose our future. We can only choose our habits that create it. All that, just kind of a brief overview. But this picture, I show it because I'm trying to, and what's already being done is this statement at the top, building a legacy one generation at a time. I'm not just raising 
three beautiful children, four beautiful children. I'm also raising mothers and fathers, and I'm raising mothers and fathers of my own grandchildren that my parents are sitting here, and their, their, their quivers are full, but they've also put those in different areas all around the nation, and, and they've, they've, they've spoken to so many lives, and I honor my parents today because what's happened is they weren't just doing something like just yeah, take the snotty nose and clean it up and you can't get them on. But there was some things that were developmental that started from the very youngest age. And now as they got old, we didn't forget about it. Right. And that was a stay. It was a scripture that was sitting in our in our in our um, bathroom. Is it train up a child in a way that they should go? And when they get old, they will not depart me. So the legacy that we're looking at. Right. I show that because what needs what we need in our culture today is examples. We need examples. And then uh, go to Ephesians really quickly. And, and this, this what sparked from as I did these character education programs and I started my own LLC and started kind of finding out, okay, we need to kind of do these, these, these development things in more of a greater scale. And we started doing after school programs and we started doing, um, you know, summer programs. Cause now when the, when the adolescent crime raises, it's typically during the summer months and kids are out of school in 2020 when kids were not in learning, there was no such thing as e-learning. It was just possibly they would show up or possibly they wouldn't. What happened was we started to see that there was a lot of examples popping up all around the nation, but they weren't healthy examples. Culture was presenting an example, and unfortunately it was leading them right to these cultural traps. And the word God gave me in four years ago was Ephesians 5.1, therefore be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ has loved us and given himself for us of offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Now, as we look here at why is this work so important, because, yeah, there's some challenges and there's issues that I think that we may kind of on a surface level understand, but I wanted to dig in a little bit deeper and kind of give a little bit of a snapshot as to what are the issues that our youth are facing if the if the enemy has a plan which he has a plan of trying to come after a seed right um, and any aspect of any challenges that we've found there's some type of direct connection to the seed the children and it started you know I always said I love a history and I love to learn what's happened over the years how do we get to this point what has gone on over these past few years? And it started with one of the greatest revolutions we've ever seen in mankind, I believe, right? What are some different revolutions we've probably heard of? Just yell them out. What are some revolutions you've probably heard of? Re no, like, like, so like American Revolution, French Revolution, right? Different types, Industrial Revolution. These are different things that literally shifted um, and changed systems. A lot of times it's in a political world where you have like the French Revolution and these just these things happening from it. All right, different Spanish revolutions, just different all over the nation. You've seen these major revolutions and they've revitalized a specific nation that they were specific to. But there's another, the Jesus Revolution, right? Yes. And what happened was culture had an effect in some ways, but there's one revolution I want to bring up to you. And it's one that has affected 
so many different spheres of society um, in ways that we've never seen before. In the financial sector, it's caused significant changes. In the medical sector, it's caused significant changes. In the breakdown of the family, it's called signif caused significant changes. And what it was was back in the 1960s, there was something called the sexual revolution. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And this revolution, it was started with a couple of just rebels that went kind of against the normal grains of cultural norms and kind of then started in the San Francisco Bay Area and it swept across the nation. And this concept of make love, not war was scary because what they said was, hey, love means sex. And, you know, love is way too powerful for a word to just be confined as something like that. So what happened was we started seeing a significant shift in all these different areas. Medical field, we started recognizing sexually transmitted infections are on the rise, STDs, STIs are on the rise. We're realizing something like uh, infertility issues started to come in the 70s, right? And all these different challenges that were affecting the medical career, medical field started to fluctuate into different areas like the financial sector. Like, man, we started seeing stock and businesses and things being affected by these different changes. Then the breakdown of the family, right? Where 80% of children lived in a two-parent home back in the 60s, and now we have 42% of children born into a fatherless home. 42%, right? If you broke it down into different, different, different demographics, it's even higher in some rates. In the African-American community, 72% of children born into a fatherless home. So if we wanted to look at the major issues of what's going on in our culture today, it's the fact that they let those young bull elephants run off. And what happened is there was no guidance, there was no structure, there was no discipline, because an undisciplined child becomes an undisciplined adult. And what happens is when that undisciplined adult has children, now we see undisciplined culture. So this same culture that shifted and changed the way that we even looked at civilization was this concept from the sexual revolution, right? Only had two major STIs, STDs, and now we've got over 30 plus, one in four sexually active teens right now are with an STI. They're saying that this is the most diseased generation on the planet. So why does this message matter? Why do we have to go into the classrooms? Because if nobody goes in and tells them and lets them know, look, there's an alternative route, right? Or there's redemption. See, I don't just want to go into the classroom and tell them don't do this and stop doing that. It's more so let's talk about the character that's going to build you up, that's going to be way more sustainable than where you're at now. So just some kind of what's happened over the years. Culture radically changed. There was a rebellious nature Right? in our culture, and the results are not good. One in four, I said that. 15 to 24-year-olds account for 60% of all new STDs right now. In the uh, early 2000s, they started to kind of figure out this whole hookup culture, and they're trying to find out what's going on and why is this thing, why, why is it a challenge and is, why is it tempting to cause harm towards culture and people? Because now we started seeing the de demise of relationships Right, we're normalizing uh, uh, things, and, and what happened was relationships boundaries are compromised. There's no boundaries in relationships. One of the main things I love to encourage in the classroom is I always ask the kids, "What's your top five? Reason being is because when I first got into a relationship, I was that immature high school kid that you know, and I always put myself in those same shoes. I was very immature, and you know, self control was a big challenge. And what happened was I wanted to be the class clown, but I didn't want to take advantage. I didn't want to take 
the consequences. I don't want the consequences. Nobody wants the consequences. And we can feel invincible at certain times, right? But I uh, met this young lady, and uh, she kind of set this, what she called her top five, and kind of where did I fit in on that top five? <laughs> she said, all right, number one was faith. I was like, okay, she let a lord. Faith. Number two was <laughs> number two was family. I was like, okay, I guess they were there before me now. Again, I'm very immature in this moment. I'm thinking, where am I going to finish on this list? Because, you know, Ricky Bobby style, if you ain't first, you're last. So he said, number three was academics. And I'm like, okay, she was National Honor Society, brilliant. I always say I married way up. I don't know how I got her, y'all. Number four was social clubs. Now, our junior year, we were both involved in a lot of social clubs, and we were like kind of a group of friends that we were just really cool with. And, and what happened was all that came in, so right around number five, that's where you'll fit in, man. I'm like, man, <laughs> okay. Right around the, I'm like, man, there's no way I'm number five. But I respected it because I recognized that there was a, something else that maybe she had some elders in her life talking to her, pouring into her, saying, no, yeah, I see that. You, you, you want to do this, but we got to practice self-control. We, we, we can practice self-control, and unfortunately, when we hear about the mess and the challenges that our culture is going through, we kind of paint this one broad stroke that, oh, man, all these kids are doomed. Man, I talk to certain peers of mine, and I'll tell them what I do. Like, yeah, I'm kind of character education, and I work with, like, high school, and sometimes we're going into middle schools and stuff. And typically, you hear, oh, they need it because, man, these kids are crazy. Well... We're probably hearing the loudest ones in the room. We've got some amazing young people out here that are doing some amazing things and some amazing things for the Lord, um, that love the Lord, that, that, that are looking for guidance. And then what happens is the, the, what, what, what they're really looking for is a voice or an elder that can tell them, hey, you got this. I believe in you. So when I walk into the classroom and I tell every single one of them, look, man, I love every single one of you. And sometimes it's the first time they may have heard of it. Somebody tell them they love you. Or I believe in you. Or you don't have to conform to what everybody in culture is telling you to do because what you can do is something amazing. And I believe you can do it. And sometimes I say, not only do your parents believe in you, when some of them probably don't, but not only do your teachers believe in you, they're trying to encourage you to get your work done, but I also believe in you. And they just need somebody to tell them, look, you're, you're, you're good enough. It's possible. You can do this. Right. Our own children have been weaponized as props to carry out an agenda um, that's contrary to a biblical worldview. And, and what I mean by that is uh, when it comes to a lot of what's happening with uh, all, all the different challenges and the agendas and the movements that are happening, you'll recognize that the faces of these things are always pointing to children. It's always about, but the kids... You know, there was different, as we moved from the 60s and we had different challenges and the, the divorce rates and all these different marriages were, well, the big studies were done was, well, the children will just be fine. The children will be fine. It's, it's, they'll be okay. And then we started to realize, well, these children were having very challenges because we're talking about divorce home and all the different issues that they were dealing with. But we continue to just say that children will be fined. And then we started seeing the CDC started doing, you know, service or studies and recognizing, man, we, we, this may eventually be the most diseased generation on the planet if things don't change just from the area of sexually transmitted infections and diseases. But the children will be just fine. See, when you have ideas, ideas have consequences. Ideas do. Ideas. Ideas. 
have consequences. Bad ideas have victims. Bad ideas have victims and who's typically the most vulnerable of society is our children. So I'm speaking to you not only from youth development educator, but I'm also speaking to you from a father. But also, most importantly, I'm speaking to you as a son. I'm a son. And, and when, I, when I want to, when I, when, I, when I go into any classroom, any situation, I want to make my heavenly father proud. I want to make my natural father proud, my spiritual father proud. And what happens is what we carry, how we carry ourselves is so important because the enemy's coming after our children. Social media, average time spent on social media for our youth is about 56 and a half hours a week. That's like a full job plus overtime. If they were getting paid, then maybe our parents wouldn't have to work and we could just let them stay on social media. <laughs> Sign me up. No, there's jobs out there like that. But 56 and a half hours. So the, I was at a men's conference a couple weeks ago, or a couple months ago. And they just had me on as a panel, and I was just kind of talking about some of the background of what we're doing in the classroom and things. And one of the biggest encouragements I had, and I want to encourage you as well to this, is I love to ask the question, who is shaping the worldview of our children? Because if we're not engaged, and man, this subject may be a little bit awkward to have in the classroom, or it may be an awkward conversation to have with our children and the whole relationships and the quote-unquote birds in the bees conversation. But if we're not shaping that worldview, then I know a three by five device that will. Right? I know a certain system that'll pour into them. Tell them that they love them, but not true love. Tell them that they care, but leave them when they're hurt. Tell them that they'll be there for them, but leave them when they're in their most vulnerable state. Social media is causing challenges. One of them being cyberbullying. We've got 83% of youth that have been cyberbullied that leads to real life abuse. So when we think of the cyberbullying, oh, it's just kind of online and, you know, they'll, they'll get over it, it's fine. No, what happens is those start to develop habits. And when they see that working on there, what happens is now we're seeing it happen. And well, let me act on these things. Well, understanding something about even adolescence is those very early adolescents are very curious, right? My son and daughters, and they're very curious and recognizing what's happening, what's going on. And then as they start to get to a certain stage of like middle school level, right? That kind of stage where now we want to act on certain things that I've heard. And if it hasn't been heard in this proper way, then a lot of times what happens is they could get hurt because they don't know that, hey, if I put my hand on this hot stove, it could possibly burn me. Well, we don't typically know until it hurts them. And unfortunately, the consequence is 10 times more severe. And we have between the ages of 10 to 34, the second leading cause of death in our youth is suicide. And it's a subject that's always like, man, we don't want to bring this thing up. I don't want to talk about these things, but we typically don't talk about it until the challenging confrontation is, awaits us. And when we're talking about these different issues, and as I'm bringing up different ones that are serious, and they're all very, very serious. This one's obviously very near and dear to uh, uh, my heart because it's, we're talking about our youth, our young people that, that just need, a lot of times it starts with this depressive 
mentality. And then what happens is it leads towards other things, voices that are in their ears, right? And, and from that leads to other challenges. And this whole, you know, this, the, the challenges of what we see now in gender dysphoria is not just some random thing that just came up out of nowhere. What happens is gender dysphoria is an actually a, a mental disorder. And when you talk about a young person that says they may feel like a girl and may are a, naturally a boy, that's actually a mental disorder. And what culture's done is we've created these social warriors to where now let's prop them up when their brain's not fully developed, they have no understanding of what's happening, they feel a certain way, but let's prop them up, put them on the front lines rather than dealing with the core issue. They need somebody to come alongside them, tell them, no, like you can do, you're, you're amazing. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. You're beautiful in the eyes of God. And unfortunately, it's easier sometimes to condemn, point the finger and retreat and leave and, and say that's their problem, that's their issue, rather than step into it and try to redeem something. Because that same thing, the pressure that's pointed on them is either going to burst or create a diamond. And it takes the people of God to come along the side of them, to come, come alongside of our young people to recognize, no, you can do this. You can, you're amazing. You're, you can do these things. All these different challenges, we can recognize the problem, but I think it's most important that we really emphasize what is the solution? What, what, is the, what, is the, what is the way that we can go about this, right? But Matt, I can't go into the classroom. I can't walk into the class. I don't, I, that's not my grace. I don't, I don't speak in front of people. I can't do that type of thing. Well, we can pray, right? Our youth, every, every opportunity, when you're in your own oikos or your kind of circle of influence, the people that we surround ourselves with, a lot of times we want to pray for revival, but revival starts in our own homes. It starts in our own heart. When we catch something, catch the fire, and we find that something did, there was something that happened. I don't know what it was, but something happened to me, and I'm just so thankful, and I was told to tell somebody else and what happened was man this is amazing God changed my life and those individuals are overcome by the word of your testimony right it was our testimony that set the captives free and what happens is that same testimony is the same thing that stirs revival in our spirit right and we allow God to kind of you know let that move into our families and now we're starting to affect our family and in that household that revival that started in the household starts to affect the communities right around it one of my favorite and one of my wife's favorite things I love to speak for her in some of these things as well because she she loves to speak to our community and we homeschool and we're so excited about homeschooling we love homeschooling and um, my wife is the is the is the CEO president and found you know she I'm just the dean of students that's all I just want to jump in no I might do some science and things with them the, the fun stuff you know but she loves to meet with the community her focus is the community man there's so many families that just need like Ephesians said therefore be imitators of God we need some examples of healthy sustainable families now I sound like my dad I know y'all heard that before. Healthy, sustainable family. Well, I mean, it's true. And unfortunately, um, it's one thing that's been missed over the years. But what happens is we, we do these kind of youth events or kind of family community things where we'll just kind of do something simple like we had an Easter egg hunt and just invite everybody there and just come out. And what happens was you start getting all the people to come around and then you've got an opportunity to just love on them and just, you know, being the hands and feet of Jesus. 
right? Um, our world needs more of Christ-centered love than self-centered indoctrination. <laughs> I don't know. I just what what we need today is something that's found in Ezekiel 33, and I'm wrapping up. They told me I had three hours, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> but in Ezekiel. I want to I want to hit this and then I'll be out of your way. I think it's a very important point to me to be made. Matter of fact, I forgot about it. Had it on here. In Ezekiel 33, 7 says, so you everybody said me. Son of man, I have made you me watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, who shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. We're called to be watchmen. See, a watchman, it's interesting. A watchman back in those days and those times would stand at an elevated point where they recognized if there was any harm that came amongst the city or was coming towards the city, what happened was they were the ones that were assigned the task to let the people in the community know, hey, there's terror coming, there's enemies coming, and the watchman would let warn the people. And if he didn't warn the people, there was judgment that came from him. Very harsh judgment. So anything that would come towards the city, I always kind of, I've seen this concept in what Ezekiel is telling him. It's like, man, you son of man, I've made you watchmen. It's like, man, we're watchmen. Why? But, but I'm not called to, to preach in front of people. I'm not called to preach to youth. Man, I can't even talk to my own youth. And, and what happens is, we're still called as watchmen, right? We're all called to a ministry of reconciliation, to reconcile those back to Christ, right? But we're also called to be watchmen on a tower. Hey, here's what's coming towards our city, right? And the issues that I've kind of addressed here in the situation of unhealthy relationships where one in three high school students are in an abusive relationship right now, right? And when I hear about that, it breaks my heart because, yes, I met my wifey in high school, but I always think about, man, one in three high school students are in an abusive situation. And when we're seeing that abuse starting at that young of an age group, and I'm not just talking about the, the physical, there's mental, sexual, and emotional, um, and along with the physical abuse. And these type of abuses, what happens is it deters us to kind of develop these unhealthy habits that lead towards into our adulthood. But what happens is we do need is, hey, when I'm sitting at this elevated, not from an arrogant standpoint, but from a point of, hey, I've learned some things that God has shown me over the years, and I want to be form the people. I want to know, hey, as a watchman standing at the elevated moment to point to, here's some issues that's happening in culture. See, it's so easy to get so turned away from the challenges of what's happening with Bud Light, what's happening with Target, and it's just, that's the loudest ones in the room, but there's some demons that's happening right close to home where we've got some significant challenges that if we're not awake as watchmen, that enemy is just kind of creeping into our families, creeping into our relationships, what we allow in, right? So we need to be watchmen, not just for our children, but we need to be watchmen. Our parents need watchmen on the wall. Our families need watchmen on the wall. Our communities need watchmen on the wall. Our states need watchmen on the wall. Our nation needs a watchman on the wall. And that watchman on the wall is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is. And this discipleship starting in our families. I'm, I'm so thankful for the fact that I... I able to to walk into a place in a in a nation 
where we can freely present this gospel, where we can freely come alongside brothers and sisters of Christ that have a, a moment of clarity to just recognize what's important in these times and how we can overcome. We can start with our prayers. We can spark, start by speaking to that one person, maybe that's around us, that, hey, you could do this, right? Um, encouragement is something that goes way farther than we may think. I remember when somebody said this to me. They kind of helped me hold on just a little bit longer, right? And as I close today, I think it's important that as we're thinking about this whole process of what's going on in culture today, the challenges that we think, sometimes it may just be as elevated, maybe it's just me a meaning of my, my compass needs to be recalibrated. Maybe my compass has been directing me towards a certain way. I encourage us to, in your own time, to read Psalms 25. It's, an, uh, it's a scripture, and I don't have time to read it today, but it's a, it's a, it's a chapter that really allows us to, uh, uh, to, to set our hearts on not just the things of God, but his direction and purpose and plan. And, and in that kind of learning in this repentive, repentive mindset to focus on what is it that I can do? God, what have you called me to do in my own sphere of influence, right? You've called me to this ministry of reconciliation, but what is my ministry, right? What is that thing that I can do? What God's shown me over the years is that if there's one person that stands up and says something, right, and now we've, we, we, we can hear from it, we can learn from it, but what happens is the bigger, uh, uh, you know, adjustments come in those, inter in those conversations, individual conversations, when we're talking to people that may, we have their ear, right? Um, and that's what's so important in today's time. Um, our generation is looking for the real. It's looking for something. Our, our, our youth are looking for truth. Um, and unfortunately, there's a lot of mistruth out there. There's a lot, of, the, a lot of paths that are taking our youth so many different directions away from that true north, right? And um, I, I, I'm thankful for this opportunity for you today and to be able to present to you and to be an example uh, to others in First in Timothy, like it says, to be an example to others in love, peace, kind. So if you don't mind, I'd like to pray for you, and then I'll turn it back over. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for the opportunity that you've called us as watchmen to, to stand up, proclaim your truth, and sell it not. We thank you that, you are, that we continue to contend for this faith that we believe in, to not just let it be something that stays dormant in our spirit, in our heart, that changes our lives, but also affects others around us, that changes those around us that points to you as the true direction rather than ourselves, God, that's use, that's, that's hopeless. Lord, ourselves, we, we are only, no, we have no strength without your strength, Father. We have no direction without your direction, Father. We have no purpose without your purpose for us, God. And we just ask that you would just continue to speak to our hearts, even as we've heard this today, that the responsibility of what our adjustment, what we have to do, now comes, and we just thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name.